Hey there, this is Alana, and you are listening to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm here with Jamie. How's it going, Jamie? It's going well. It's cool to be pioneering a new endeavor. <laughs> a new endeavor, yes. So this episode is going to be slightly different, more from our end, we're hoping, than from your end. So we're recording in our phones. It's just going to be a little bit more informal. If you're used to slightly better sound quality, we apologize, but hopefully this will be still a good venue for us to dive into some really important topics. Yeah, and this episode is actually directly inspired by a question from someone in our Praying Christian Women community Facebook page, and um, she just had, we our last episode uh, that Alana and I recorded together was about prayer and toxic relationships. And I even was thinking about it as I was re-listening to that episode, I realized that we'd never actually spoke directly to what happens if you have a toxic relationship in your own family. Because it's one thing to objectively set boundaries and, you know, kind of talk around toxic relationships in the general public or people you don't know or people online or people you can set boundaries with. But what if they're in your own family or even in your own home? What do you do? So I think this is a very relevant question. So this is going to be our coffee break question for today. Yeah. So I love this. And for those of you, I think it's been quite a while actually since we've done coffee break. So quick reminder is that our coffee break episodes are where you send in topics that you want to discuss or questions that you think it would be fun for us to address. Not necessarily because you want a specific answer, but more so because you've got just a topic that you would love for us to dive into deeper. And so I'm really excited. If you have coffee break topics or questions, I believe the website is prayingchristianwomen.com slash, help me out, Jamie, is it questions? Yes, prayingchristianwomen.com slash questions. Yes. And like we said, this is different from our standpoint. We usually record with like an outline in front of us on the screen and a computer screen that tells us exactly what's coming up next. And this one, just for various reasons, is recorded differently. Jamie's on her phone. I'm on my phone. It might not be um, quite as formal, but hopefully it will be just as informative. Alrighty. So how about, yes, this is kind of a follow-up to our episode on, what was the official name of that episode? I think prayer, prayer and, and toxic, toxic relationships. relationships. <laughs> we both say with the lilt in our voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so we got a follow-up question that we thought made for a great coffee break topic. So do you want to read the actual question? I do. So let me, um, let me do the verse of the day first and our prayer. Let's and then I'll, do it. I'll do that. So our verse of the day is Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Uh, this is the NIV. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. I read into verse 45, but I just, I chose this because I think in toxic relationships, we can view these people as our enemy and they can, in many cases, be those that persecute us in many ways and it can be very painful. And so just, you know, to keep this idea of loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. And, you know, that will flesh out later. What does it look like to love someone in a toxic relationship? What does it look like to pray for that person that persecutes you? And, you know, so I thought that would be kind of a good springboard into the conversation. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Well, should we go ahead and pray for the topic and then yeah. dive in? Why don't you do that? Thank you, God, that we were able to discuss some of these topics. Thank you, God, for giving us an audience that's willing to go deep into some of these sort of hard-hitting subjects and that we get to really explore all of the nuances of what it means to be a praying Christian woman in this day and age. And I pray that you would guide our conversation, guide our words. Thank you for these phones that are allowing us to do this and for all of the technology that has made this show possible. And I just thank for Jamie and pray your blessing on her and her family as well as for all of our listeners. 
Amen. Amen. Hey, so I've got a just for fun, actually, off the top oh, of my do head. It. Sure. Do you, were you about to say that you had one? No, I was just going to read the question from the forum. Right. So no, go ahead. Just for fun. All right. What is your, uh, your most interesting story of exposure, exposure to something a toxic? It can be like a chemical. It can be fumes. It can be food poisoning. What have you got? Oh, this is so good. So I've, I used to work in research labs. I worked in mm-hmm. molecular biology labs for many years before I ended up coming home to raise kids. And I have been exposed to lots of toxic reagents, um, radioactivity, which, you know, we took lots of precautions. We wore our radiation badge that, you know, basically would register every month. We would turn them in and they would make sure that you weren't being exposed because we used shields and all kinds of protective Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But the scariest toxic exposure I had was when I was working Um, I think it was actually in college when I was working in a molecular biology lab and I was there late after everyone else. And typically we took some really, you know, strict safety precautions when we're working in the fume Mm -hmm. hood with toxic chemicals and you got to wear your nitrile gloves to make sure nothing can penetrate them. And Mm -hmm. I was in a hurry and I just wanted to get home and I had forgotten to do something that involved a phenol, uh, phenol chloroform extraction, just working with phenol. Uh and chloroform. And I mean, these, you know, chloroform is the stuff that, that, you know, you can put people to sleep if you put it up against their nose. It's how you kidnap people. I've seen enough TV. That is how I kidnap people when I kidnap (laughs) them. That's (laughs) right. And you never leave home without it. Right. So I just remember I was in a hurry and I didn't bother put, I had just taken my gloves off. I didn't want to waste another pair of gloves. And I thought I've done this a thousand times. I'm just going to do it. So I went in there and I did my little extraction. And while I was doing it, I splashed. You might've blipped out. Oh, can you hear me now? Testing, testing. Hello. Where did Jamie go? Hey, there you went. Oh, I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if the recording got all that. So I heard that you didn't want to bother putting on another set of gloves. Right. So I just went into the fume hood and I did my little extraction. And at some point during that, I splashed the phenol chloroform mixture Uh onto Uh my hand. And it was like on the inside of my hand and my, my, the whole place where it, um, where, where I got it on my hand turned white, like, and real papery. Ooh. And I was like, Oh my goodness. And did it burn? No. Like, it is it didn't. painful? No, it felt like okay. it wasn't a burn. It felt like, um, like alcohol on your skin, like really cold, super cold. And I just looked at it. I was like, am I gonna like get cancer from this? Am I, is this like dissolving my skin? I didn't even know what to do. So I washed my hands and the, the short version is nothing happened. And I've Googled it to see, you know, can, can you get toxicity from chloroform and phenol? I don't really think that it's a big deal, but mm-hmm. I never didn't wear gloves or take safety. Yeah, no kidding. After that. So did you fill out an incident report like a good girl? Heck no. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I was too embarrassed. Really? Yeah. Right. Well, I've actually got I've got a similar story. So I have one haha story. And that was, I was a TA in college for an organic chem lab. And almost every week I ended up burning myself on like something stupid, you know, like I touched the Bunsen burner where I'm not supposed to, or like just something really dumb. I think I ended up like where it was a weekly lab. And I think there was one month where three out of the four labs, I ended up like burning myself. I didn't let people know because again, I was embarrassed, but My story, so when I was in high school, I worked in the hospital histology lab, and one of the things that fell under my job description was, I think, like, I worked one Saturday a month or so by myself. The rest of the time, I worked, you know, with others, and so it was a Saturday that I was working alone, and I had to go up a thing of xylene. Our lab was involved in preparing like tissue slides for people to look at things under microscope and xylene was one of the chemicals they needed for that process. So once a week, one of us had to go down and it was a like this old hospital where we had to go down an elevator that didn't even have like closed doors. It was like more of a cage that you lowered yourself in. You had to wheel a cart. Like it was all, it was kind of creepy. 
And what happened was the pump had been annoying for a little bit. And when the person who trained me trained me, she was like, oh yeah, this pump's annoying. Just go ahead and do it and be careful. And that was like all of the, the warning we got, but I ended up going to pump and it splashed up into my face and I don't remember it hurting, but I do remember being really, really scared because I didn't know what this chemical was, but I knew that there were all kinds of, like it was stored outside. You had to go through like these locked compounds to get to it. So I knew it was like, it it wasn't just like, you know, splashing some rubbing alcohol. (laughs) And I was a little bit freaked out. I was a lot bit freaked out. Plus I was young. Like I was doing this job at 16 and it was only something I did once a month. And this was only my second or third time doing it. And I got a little bit turned around. Like I didn't quite know where the nearest eyewash station was going to be or anything like that. And so I passed these ladies who were just outside on a smoke break (laughs) and asked them for help. So they helped me. And then what got me really upset, it almost made me cry. I finally got to Actually, you know, it must not have been a Saturday, but because uh, my supervisor was there. But I remember once I got, to, you know, they, the people who were on their break helped me get to an eyewash station. I rinsed really, really good for like a full 10, 15 minutes, like super cold water. So that was comfortable and fun. And then I went and I told my supervisor and I'm at that stage, I was super insecure and really oversensitive anyway. But I got the gist that she was mad at me because now she would have to fill out an incident report (laughs) instead of being like, oh, no, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Are you okay? And after that, we always had to wear, you know, more protective gear to get the xylene. So that's my story. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And and that's I'm in the same boat as you where I just felt embarrassed. And Mm -hmm. if someone had been there, I'm sure it would have been an incident. And but I was just Mm -hmm. embarrassed to even tell where, you know, at that point, it wasn't like you just had your cell phone and you could Google symptoms or that's true. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, I think I'd just rather not know. I mean, realistically, and I was pretty young, too, like maybe 19. Uh Uh And I, and I just, you know, but realistically, you probably should at least ask someone if you need to worry, you know, or. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I know this makes sense if you're in the United States, I don't know how it is in other countries. Like if you need a workman's compensation later on, you know, like if you woke up three years later and there was a hole burned in your hand and you could point it back to that incident or something. Right. Anyway. Uh, so toxic relationships, <laughs> that, was, that was our, our first tangent, but fun. I, I, you and I, we have such, um, interesting similarity in our science backgrounds that we it never really, talk about. It is like, fun. We talk about homeschool. We talk about church. We talk about podcasts. We talk about writing books. We don't really talk about the science stuff probably cause it was just so long ago. It is. And, but it's, it's a real, I love science and I just, I still really get excited about, I don't know, just the, like, I still dream about someday maybe going back into a lab, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd be kind mm-hmm. of a dinosaur at this point. That's true. Yeah. With Things so much change so quickly. And... I mean, I remember sequencing DNA using big gels and like mm-hmm. running for 24 hours and then like, <laughs> taking a radiogram and, and going through and counting the ACT and G's, you know? Uh-huh. Now you could probably just like take a picture with your smartphone and upload it to an app and it will tell you the sequence. <laughs> yeah. Or you, well, yeah. Yeah. Picture of like, you know, the, the tissue. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. I know that you need xylene to prepare that tissue. That's, that's my extent of, that's uh... <laughs> right. That's right. anyway, so we have not read our official question, correct? We have not. So this is Let's from Laura, someone named Laura in our group that's, that was responding. I posted about um, our episode, Prayer and Toxic Relationships. And she said, this was really good. Could you address toxic family members sometime? So that could mean family members in your home, family members outside of your home, whatever. Yeah, big spectrum there. Yeah. All right. So first of all, um, you know, when we, when we kind of started gabbing you and me about doing this topic, you know, we were like, that's a really important topic. It's really good to cover. How do we make sure that we make it like something that's appropriate for praying Christian women, as opposed to just like, you know, Christian women. (laughs) And so, you know, 
well, let's start by talking about just some of the um, more non, uh, what am I trying to say? More general. Let's start with more general, and then we'll make sure to kind of emphasize how this can impact your prayer life. How do you pray for people? But let's start with just kind of the more general type of thing. So how do you know if somebody in your family is toxic? Because honestly, like the idea of a toxic relationship hasn't even been in the vernacular for more than what five years at most I would say Mm -hmm. and it's not really become common vernacular it's not something that you just bring up colloquially uh other than in the past maybe two years yeah so but I've heard a lot about it in the last two years it's become mm -hmm. a big thing Um, yes and you know we love disclaimers I love disclaimers um I think they're necessary and I think Mm -hmm. there is a line between a toxic relationship (laughs) and an abusive relationship Mm, so glad you started with that yep And it needs to be clarified. Now, I don't know, what would you say if we want to start off there to say, okay, toxic is one thing, abusive is the other. What would be a a couple of, okay, these are indicators that you're not just in a toxic relationship, you're Mm -hmm. being used and you need professional help. So I would say super clearly there is the, you know, if there's physical violence or sexual violence, I think that that's everybody's going to agree that that's an issue of abuse. Even within a marriage, there can be, exactly. There can be sexual Mm -hmm. abuse within a marriage as well. Yes. Yes. And so if that is the case, that's a really, really, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to deal with, but it's easy for someone looking in to pinpoint. And even so it's hard to say, even if, you know, he leaves you with bruises and forces things that you don't want to do. It's still, and many times hard to say I am being abused, but that would be a case of abuse. And, you know, where, where it gets a little murkier, in my opinion, there's absolutely other types of abuse. There's Mm -hmm. emotional abuse, verbal abuse, there's financial abuse, you know, where every single uh, financial option is cut off for you. And so that you have no ability to do anything. Uh, That's a form of abuse. Those are harder to know where the line gets drawn. And, you know, as Bible believing Christians, it's not, um, it's not quite as easy for us to say, especially in the context of a marriage, oh, you know, divorce for any and every reason. But, you know, there are, there are times, in my opinion, where the toxic relationship can turn to abuse, even if that's not a physical act of violence to the point where, you know, a separation of physical separation to protect yourself would be in order. Yeah. And that's probably something if you're even entertaining the question, is what I'm going through abuse or just a toxic relationship? You need to say faster. Yes. Or, you know, I think there's also just, or I live with somebody who's difficult. You know, I think there are difficult relationships that aren't toxic. It's just difficult. So I think that that's on the spectrum too. Um, And, and the one thing I would say, and I, I, I don't get super soapboxy about many things, but I'm going to get soapboxy about this. If even after going to a pastor, no pastor should encourage you to stay in a place where you are physically unsafe, but some do. And so I would say, yes, start with pastoral counsel, but please keep that in mind. Not all pastors are trained to know how to handle that. And there absolutely is a difference between being a loving and respectful wife and remaining stuck in an abusive spot. I'm glad you said that because this is official. Um, You know, I, I'm with you. I don't have any if, ands, or buts about Mm -hmm. the the validity of you have permission to make yourself safe. You're not sinning by separating yourself physically from someone who's doing you harm or who's making you feel unsafe for a time and going from there. That, that, that step mm-hmm. itself, there's no possible way you could biblically say that that's wrong. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. And then sometimes else. even more extreme circumstances, I believe, are allowed, permissible, wise prudence, all of those yes. things. But yes, yeah. the the act of at least removing yourself in the immediacy from an immediately abusive situation is the right step. It doesn't mean it's easy. 
Um, thankfully, there are many, many resources that can help. So maybe we can throw uh, some, you know, hotline resources or things like that up there for you. It's, it's really hard to reach out for help. It can be scary. And here's the other thing. Sometimes you need to trust your gut. And if your gut is telling you now is not quite the right time, you're, you're going to know. And we are praying prayers of protection for you to know the when and the how, right? Sometimes you do, I think about Esther, right? Like she did this thing where she's got this husband who is admittedly really volatile, right? Like his previous wife was, um, what was she like outcast or I forget the official word that you would use for a case like that. She, she was dethroned because she didn't want to, you know, do whatever he wanted. She didn't want to be the beck and call girl at the party, right? So Esther knows this, and she does this whole thing. There's prayer involved. There's fasting involved. There's other people praying for her. And even then, she realizes, right? So she makes this feast, and she says, come to this feast with me. And he says, okay, now, why did you prepare me this nice feast? And she says, you know what? Why don't we have another feast, (laughs) right? And some people can say, well, maybe she wasn't ready. Some people could say maybe she like chickened out. Maybe she just had the tact to know that this was not the right time to take this next step with her very volatile husband. And so that's the other thing we want to, to encourage you because there's so much guilt and shame already bound up with being in an abusive situation. We don't want to pile that on by saying, well, just get yourself out of there. Cause we know that there's, there's much more involved and that there are need for discernment as well. Yeah. Well, let's just stop right there and, and make this, you know, book end this with a prayer for anyone listening that's in that situation that needs that wisdom. Just right this minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, God, we just, come to you today knowing that there are women right now who are experiencing abuse, who are confused, who may not know um, how to proceed. And we just pray right now, God, that you would, um, you would give these women wisdom, um, that they would hear your voice clearly, that you would give them courage to remove themselves or their children from, from the situation um, provide people to surround them, um, even if it's just a supernatural encounter where where someone just happens to be at the right place at the right time that they can reach out to God um, to help them if they can't do it on their own. Direct them to resources and people that will get them safe and get them help and and show them next steps that are biblical that are um, glorifying to you and that will that will allow allow these women to be safe and um, cared for in the way that they need to be and deserve to be. Amen. Amen. So yeah, way to jump in with some real light topics, huh? I'm glad we went there. I think that was, that was a God moment of this needs to be said. So that's good. Absolutely. Yep. So now let's go back and just kind of, so I do see it as a spectrum. I see just Mm -hmm. somebody who's difficult to live with kind of being the beginning and somebody who's toxic being there in the middle and then someone who's abusive being at the other extreme. Mm -hmm. And there's not always going to be really clear-cut delineations here. Um, And sometimes it doesn't matter, right? Like sometimes if you live with somebody who's just difficult versus somebody who's borderline toxic, probably you're going to learn to approach things in a somewhat similar way. So I don't know that we need to really, really, really belabor the distinctions, but I do want to give another caveat, and this is kind of on the the opposite. So we're swinging the pendulum the other way. Sometimes people use this sort of language in a way that's slightly inappropriate, right? So it would be like, oh, my sister gets on my nerves because twice a year she asked for our money and gets mad at me when she doesn't. So she must be toxic. And so therefore I'm sure that I'm, you know, the only recourse I have is to totally cut her out of my life. All right. So yes, she's in a situation and it's frustrating and annoying. That's frustrating and annoying. Doesn't some people I feel kind of take this label of toxic relationship and are too quick to slap it on to things. And they make that their excuse to just be totally done 
too soon. There's always going to be difficult people that we rub shoulders with. And we don't really have a biblical, there's no biblical mandate to totally ignore every single person who sometimes gets on your nerves, right? Or every single person who is more emotionally immature than you. And so that's the other kind of extreme that I want to warn against. I think that's important too, because um, I think you're spot on and there's this, I, I don't know if you would call it cancel culture of like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to unfriend everybody that doesn't agree with me on social media, or I'm going to cut mm-hmm. off ties with everyone who doesn't make me feel good about myself all the time. Right. Um, right. I deserve it. There's this self entitlement mentality yes. that has become cancerous, I think in our society I think so too. Mm-hmm. And it does contribute to that. Like I deserve to only be around people that make me feel better. And, um, you know, everybody else can just, you know, go somewhere else and and they don't deserve my time when, you know, relationships, I mean, I think, okay. So I think of, uh, in marriage and, you know, you've mentioned the book before and we've talked about it, I think on the podcast, sacred marriage, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this idea that marriage was never meant for you guys to like just totally fulfill and complete each other and be blissfully happy forever and ever. Um, Mm -hmm. Joy was intended and I believe that synergy was intended, but so was um, sanctification and sharpening each other and being Mm -hmm. made holy through the struggle. I mean, you can't sharpen iron with a pencil eraser. You can, (laughs) I like that. You need iron to sharpen iron and it can be painful. So, you know, this is true in all relationships, I think. And so I think that's a great thing to take into this conversation is Mm -hmm. making sure that we're not on that opposite end of assuming that everything is toxic that rubs us the wrong way or challenges us and, and tests our patience or tests our ability to be, uh, long suffering, not long suffering, um, loyal, or I, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of have this, like, wouldn't it be great if everybody in the church got along with everybody in the church and sadly that just doesn't happen. And yes, it should. And yes, that's the ideal. And yes, I know that it breaks God's heart, but it's also a little bit like for lack of a more gentle word, it's immature to assume that every person in your sphere of influence is meant to get along with you and everybody else perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't start a family and expect, you know, all of the siblings to always be on perfect terms with each other. Is that the ideal? Sure. Is that kind of an expectation that you can uphold in terms of holding them responsible when they're at each other's throats? Sure. But you also don't slap on a label when, you know, a three and a five-year-old bicker, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you guys are so toxic. You know, what are you doing? It's, it's just the fact that we have sin nature, right? So I think that, yeah, I think that it kind of has become a cancer in our society as a whole. And it's impacting the Christian community where we just, we don't have, I think long suffering is the right word there, right? We just we don't put up with each other. I think some of it also, you know, I think about a hundred years ago, like our family has moved so many times in the past few years. And right now it's really special because we're living in a community where we've lived before. And there are people in our community who remember when my oldest who just turned 15 was a little baby, right? It's special to be able to go that far back. Like we were sitting in Sunday school with two women that have known each other for over 50 years. And that's not the norm anymore. But I go back to, okay, let's go back to 100 or 150 years ago, where that was the norm, right? You you were born in a town, you grew up in that town, you married in that town, you had your kids in that town, and you died in that town. You had to adopt a long-suffering attitude. You couldn't just cut every single person off. You could have people that rubbed you the wrong way. You could have people you didn't even like, but that doesn't mean that you just have carte blanche to pick and choose who you 
Like, I feel like, yeah, I'm glad you brought the cancer culture into this because the idea, the mainstream idea is that once you have labeled a relationship as toxic, you just totally cancel that relationship. And sometimes that is absolutely the thing to do. When it comes to things like talking about family, it's harder to do. And sometimes I still think, yes, sometimes that would be appropriate even for a Christian to cut ties with a toxic family member, but that's never the default. And I feel like we, we are way too quick to make that the default and to forget that we are meant to be long suffering with our grievances, right? Bear with each Mm -hmm. other's grievances. It doesn't say never have a grievance with somebody. It says bear with these grievances you've got. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would even take it a step further to say that this idea that we are deserving of and that the norm should be perfect unity in everything is, is a lie from the enemy to cause division and to isolate us. Because I think the person who gets into this idea of I'm going to cut off ties with everybody that doesn't agree with me or doesn't make me feel good about myself is going to be a very lonely person and is probably not mm-hmm. going to have the kind of fellowship that we need to have as individuals. Yes. Yes. So I hope everybody understands Jamie and I are not saying that toxic relationships don't exist. And I think there are definitely times where the right course is to put a lot of distance between you and the toxic person up to and including, you know, cutting off contact. But I do feel like people are way too fast to make that the, you know, I had one bad conversation with this person. I didn't feel good about it. Now I know it's my kind of duty, right? It, in sort of the mainstream way that people talk about toxicity, mm-hmm. it's almost like now I don't only have the right, but I have the obligation to make sure that, you know, I never interact with this person again. And that's really, really extreme. And I don't feel like any, let's talk about next when it is appropriate to cut ties or consider cutting ties or at least greatly increase the distance between you and a toxic person, because I feel like, yeah, you can recognize that somebody Mm -hmm. is toxic, but I actually don't think that the very, very next step is always going to be, and therefore you must never allow them into your life at all. Um, I absolutely think there's a time and place for that, but I think there are other avenues to consider, you know, before a really extreme thing like that. Yeah. So, well, I guess, so if you look at, I mean, because toxic has so many, it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we could just name off a few kind of situations that might be worthy of some kind of action and then maybe what those actions could be. Do you think? Yeah. 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 So, so go ahead. Well, so what comes to my mind is, um, if, if you find yourself having a physical reaction, like anxiety or a like bad feeling in the pit of your stomach, when you, every time you think about being with that person or, you know, every time you are with that person, um, like if you have kind of a physical response to me, that seems like, like I've been in situations where I've had um, like an actual, like just feeling of tightness in my chest and my throat gets kind of like I got a lump in it and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to have to interact with this person. And I just, you know, it, it just feels like, like I, the word toxic came to my mind at the time. And, and I just felt like, you know, when, when that happens, when you have a kind of physical response, when you're anticipating or in the presence of a certain person, I think that might be willing or that might be a situation that you maybe should take a look at and say, is this toxic? Is this, you know, just me not wanting to confront an issue or is this like an ongoing like toxicity because of how they make me feel and because Mm -hmm. of the interactions we have and maybe dig deeper into, well, what is it that makes me feel this way? Um, is this person abusing our friendship? Is this, uh, well, it's not friendship. We're talking about family members now. So is this 
a family member that, and I'm, I'm thinking it must be someone that's outside of your home at this point. Um, but you go to the family reunion and this person just constantly makes you feel like, ugh, for whatever reason that you can't mm -hmm. even fathom being with them. That could be an indication of an actual, not just the usual iron sharpening iron, but the, the, the toxicity being there. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. It could be. Yeah. And I think really, I would say that probably in order to be a toxic relationship, it almost has to be a close relationship, right? Like that's true. The second cousin that you see once a year, that's just annoying. I don't think that that would be like, you might get the, the physiological response. <laughs> you might be like, Oh, this person, I, I don't like to be with them. I get, you know, I feel nauseous when I'm around them, but I still wouldn't call that toxic. And sometimes I think that we need to be quicker to look at ourselves. Are you just grouchy and impatient with people, <laughs> right? There are difficult people and there are difficult personality types. And sometimes there can be two people, even two Christians who totally rub each other the wrong way for no reason that they were just created very differently. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like our culture makes enough allowances for that. So I would say, yeah, that in order to be really considered toxic, it has to be beyond, beyond that. But I think that's a good place to start at least. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's, it is hard to slap a definition on because some people are just difficult no matter what doesn't mean it's a toxic relationship. Right. Um, you know, I think of toxins is, as something that is persistent and pervasive and dangerous. So in that case, the second cousin who bugs you once a year, that's probably not close enough to be persistent and pervasive. It's just annoying. Right. And, you know, no, it's not a sin to, you know, try to make sure that you're seated at the other table when they're around, right? But it it is a sin to have hatred in your heart toward them, Um or, you know, is being annoyed with somebody a sin? I don't think so, but I think it could pretty easily turn into other sinful attitudes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that brings up a good point. So I'm thinking of, um, I feel like, you know, when you talk about, when we're talking about praying for people that are toxic, mm -hmm. I feel like prayer is the one Oh, what would you call it? Like the rescuer in a toxic relationship, because it allows you to take your feelings and place them in God's hands. And I don't know whether it's pray blessings over that person when you don't feel like praying blessings over that person, or it's just saying, God, I can't stand this person. They are doing this, this, and this, and airing that out, getting those feelings out to God and saying, but show me, you know, show me where I am part of the problem in this, or show me wisdom in how to proceed forward in this relationship, or help me to have insight in how I can let go of the bitterness that I'm harboring mm -hmm. against this person. I feel like of all the things that we can do in response to a toxic relationship, prayer is huge. Like it's a huge mental outlet for sure. And I also feel like a conversation about toxic relationships without talking about forgiveness and the trap of becoming embittered, I think is wrong. Now, hypothetically, it's never going to be easy, but hypothetically, you can recognize that you have a toxic family relationship. You can recognize that it's beyond just a difficult person, and you can recognize that your next most prudent choice is to let's even go extreme and say completely cut off ties with somebody. But in order to do so, you also, I, and here's where prayer comes in as well. You have to be bathed in prayer to make sure that you're not acting out of just 
rashness and impulse. You have to make sure mm-hmm. you're not acting out of hatred and anger. And I think that's where, that's where prayer also comes in. And, you know, the thing with forgiveness, we, we would like to think that we say, God, I forgive this person, you know, and bang, that's the end. But when it is, you know, a toxic relationship where the runes are persistent and pervasive and have expanded a lifetime and run really, really deep, it's very likely that one prayer, even a God help me forgive this person type prayer isn't enough to cut it. I know for me in certain relationships in my life that looks like this, forgiveness became a cycle. Like I would deal with the outer layer of hurt and anger and think that I accomplished forgiveness. <laughs> and then a few months later, something else would come up and I realized there was another layer of hurt and forgiveness to, to deal with. And then another layer. And here's a mistake other Christians make. And I made this mistake for a while. And that's thinking that being hurt is the sin. And it's not being, you know, so I used to think, okay, I forgave this person but I'm still hurt by what they did to me. Therefore, I must not have forgiven them fully. I don't think those two really go hand in hand at all. I think that you can still absolutely be hurt. You can still have visceral reactions, you know? So let's say that it's a case where there was, you know, violence and you still feel physiologically scared because your body remembers the trauma you went through. I don't see that as a sign that you haven't dealt with forgiveness, right? So I think that we, we need to separate those things. You can have forgiven somebody and still be hurt or, or scared. I feel like you can still, well, hmm, what do you, I want to hear your opinion first before I, I decide on mine. Can you still be angry at somebody and have forgiven them? Or if you forgive somebody, does that mean that anger's gone? So I, I love the story that Corey Ten Boom mm-hmm. um, tells. And it's kind of a, if you Google Corey Ten Boom forgiveness or Corey Ten Boom the bell. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, you can hear it in her words even. I know there's a recording of her sharing the story. Oh, that's really neat. And mm-hmm. so, you know, just her picture of how, forgiveness is like this bell, you know, like, so you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're in your anger toward a person. So you're, you've got your hand on the rope of the bell and you're pulling it down and letting it go and pulling it down and letting it go to, you're ringing the bell. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope. And that doesn't mean that the bell won't continue to clang every once Aww, in a while. Yeah. And that residual feeling that your, that your body has, that your mind has, that your heart has, whatever, is not that you haven't gone through the act of genuinely forgiving that person before God, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's, it's that muscle memory, that, that brain synapse connection, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. your body um, or your emotions, <clears throat> yep. remembering those feelings and they well up again, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you haven't forgiven. Um, but if you don't notice that that feeling or those struggles, you know, you still need to lay those feelings at, at the feet of Jesus. You need to take your thoughts mm-hmm. captive and mm-hmm. make them obedient to Christ. Or I think you could probably get your hand back on that rope pretty easily if you allow mm-hmm. those thoughts to go unchecked and you start ruminating on your anger. And, and I think you could grab back onto that. So, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do think, as, as you know, she put it, I think you can let go. You can mm-hmm. forgive as a one-time, yes, I have forgiven and still deal with those feelings. But if you notice sure. that they're not getting gradually further and further apart and lessening over time, then maybe, maybe you haven't forgiven and maybe you need to revisit that. Or maybe the hurt is just so deep that your expectations of how long it's going to take need to be adjusted. That's that's another good point. Because I feel like when we look at all of the biblical mandates and all of the, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not, we are commit, the commands are, okay, hatred's sin. Super easy to prove (laughs) that biblically hating somebody is not right ever. We can also prove that bitterness is commanded against, right? Don't become bitter. But 
don't become angry. I think an argument can be made, right? Like there's for sure warnings against anger, but I don't, I see anger as a little bit different kind of like, I don't know if I know this was a common kind of analogy that people would use in youth groups, right? To kind of describe the difference between just lust and attraction, right? Like it's not a sin, my opinion, when somebody walks by and you notice that they're an attractive individual, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes a sin when that becomes, again, like, let's go back to persistent, pervasive, things like that. And so I know the cute way, at least in my youth group, that was discussed was it's not a sin for a bird to fly and land on your head. It's a sin for you to allow the bird to make a nest there. So the Mm. idea is like, you know, temptations come, right? Whether that we're talking about lust or hatred or bitterness, temptations come and those are different. Like Jesus himself was tempted. And so the fact that you think about a person and have a physiological response that gosh darn, this feels a lot like anger, that I don't think of as a sin. I think of that as a temptation. And then where it becomes sin is where you don't take those thoughts captive. You don't go back to forgiving somebody in the sight of God, like we're taught in the Lord's Prayer, and you stew and stew and stew and ruminate, and that turns into the hatred and the bitterness. And that's kind of the difference between a bird just flying and landing on your head. And then, of course, like we're all, our reaction is to swat it off, mm-hmm. right? It becomes a problem when you don't swat that away, when you notice the birds landed and all of a sudden now you've got, you know, a nest in your, in your hair. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing, as you were talking about that and and the forgiveness aspect of it, and, um, you know, I think so much of dealing with toxic relationships happens in our mind and in our spirit. Mm -hmm. But there are times when it needs to go beyond that. And we need to, um, I'm just thinking in terms of family toxic relationships, Mm -hmm. I think maybe establishing, uh, and I, this is, this is according to Jamie. So I want to hear your take on it and what you think, but Mm -hmm. establishing God's, I don't want to say hierarchy, but like the hierarchy of importance of people in your life. So what I'm thinking of is someone might have a family toxicity problem with parents after they move out of their home Mm -hmm. and, um, or with even children. If you have a blended family and you have kids and then you've married a spouse, that's not those kids parent. And so I've, I've heard of examples of both of these things where basically, um, you know, I think God's, plan in marriage is husband and wife leave their parents they become one so i think some toxic relationships involve parents of one of the couples trying to be controlling of their decisions and their life choices or speaking poorly of their spouse or trying to maybe there's jealousy in on the part of Mm -hmm. the parents trying to Mm -hmm you know, wanting that, uh, that, that person who's married and now on their own, or maybe even living in the same house to put them over their spouse. Mm -hmm. And, um, so these kinds of things, I feel like knowing, and this is my opinion of what, what the Bible kind of says in the plan of marriage is your spouse, while you need to respect your parents, your spouse becomes your number one obligation in terms of, you know, you leave and cleave that whole thing. And so if you Mm -hmm. get in a place where a parent is trying to diminish the importance of that spouse, like I've had friends that are married where their spouse's parents don't really like them that much and demean them or try to even get that, that child from, to divorce that spouse, right? right. Alienate them or whatever. So that can be very toxic when you feel loyal to your parents, you want to honor them, you want to respect them, you want to involve them in your life. And yet you Mm -hmm. constantly have this berating being done to your spouse. I believe that at that point, your spouse needs to come first and you need to protect that spouse from those kinds of dangerous, toxic things. And if you have to make a choice, to me, it seems like it would be that you choose to distance yourself from that parent rather than expecting that spouse to endure abuse or demeaning from that parent. Now, what do you think about that? That's not in the Bible necessarily. And so mm-hmm, I, I, mm-hmm. that's my opinion. 
Right. No, it's really interesting because I started to think about, you know, the hierarchy, kind of like what you talked about. I feel like when you're talking about a marriage or relationship with parents, even as an adult, I would say those are the two categories that get some special protection in the Bible, Mm -hmm. you know? So let me back up just a tiny bit. Let's say that there is somebody who is very close and there's a family member and they're not your spouse and they're not your parents or in-laws. I feel like the kind of steps to go through would be, okay, identify, is this toxic? Is this something that is so toxic that I need to put distance between myself and this person? Then the question becomes, how do I do that on a practical level? And even more importantly, how do I do that without letting bitterness and anger and hatred take root? Okay, Mm -hmm. so I would say that that's kind of the, if we, we're never formulaic here, but if we need to give a formula, that's the formula for a toxic relationship, even if it's not a family member, but the Bible does have specific guidelines for relationships with your parents and relationships with your spouse. And I feel like, yes, I can, I can come up with multiple hypotheticals where cutting off ties with parents or even a spouse would be, uh, a natural, prudent step to take, but those would be so extreme. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they would need so many extra layers of protection and confirmation and multiple, right? Like your husband doesn't yell at you once and you slam the door and say you're toxic and leave him, right? right? Like, and again, this isn't me saying to stay where there is abuse either, right? That's what makes this this so, so hard because sometimes you don't know. And especially if you're the one being abused, it's really hard to identify. But I feel like you're right. The the parental relationships, we've got that right in the Ten Commandments, you know, um, honor yeah. your parents. We've got children, obey your parents, but right there in the Ten Commandments, that's not just to little kids. That is honor your parents. So I feel, and this is, again, this is me. This isn't biblical. I feel like, and let me go ahead and say, I'm bringing in some kind of Japanese American extra sense of familial fidelity and loyalty that don't always exist in all cultures. But I feel like to recognize toxicity in your relationship with your parents and then take the steps for a complete cutting off is very, very extreme. Like I said, might come a time for it. And I think in that case, then the question just becomes, how do I do this in a way that is not going to lead to anger, bitterment, resentment? How can I do this in a way that continues to respect my parents? So here's my hypothetical of what it would look like to cut off a toxic parental relationship and still not violate the commandment says to honor your parents. And it is a really, in my opinion, it's a razor thin line that needs so much prayer and discernment. And I would say in almost every case, it's going to need help from the outside, right? To make sure that you're not um, overreacting, underreacting, right? You, You need lots of confirmation, but I think that the hypothetical would be mom and dad. I, needs to cut off ties with you. Here is why I love you. I respect you, but I need you to respect my boundaries that I am no longer going to be in relationship with you. And here's the thing. And this is where Christians talking about toxicity becomes vastly different than the secular world talking about toxicity. I don't know that in something like that, there would ever be, well, okay, there probably is a time, but again, it's going to be really extreme in my opinion, where there's a time to say, and there is never going to be a chance at reconciliation, right? Um, I'm thinking of real extreme cases, but I would go so far as say those cases exist, but God's heart is for peace and unity. And so I would be very wary of closing the door completely. I, I think in most cases, a first step would be I'm cutting off ties for now. But I think it's important to make sure that the language isn't expressed in a way that's not, and this is going to be virtually impossible for everybody. So this is just kind of the ideal, right? I love you. I respect you. I'm not going to mound mouth you behind your backs, but this is, this is me removing myself from this situation basically impossible, but that would be the hypothetical 
of what that would look like. Yeah. And you know, even before you get to that point though, the thing is like I, being a person that doesn't love confrontation, mm-hmm. um, I sometimes assume that people know where I'm coming from mm-hmm. and, and I'll get easily offended or slighted about something and think, and, and then, then, you know, Holy Spirit or common sense will kick in and I'll be like, you know what? I don't think that person even knows that that was hurtful. So, mm-hmm. you know, to back up before any of that happens, I think in any kind of confront, any kind of, of toxic relationship, whether it's, you know, parents, spouse, cousins, mm-hmm. third cousin, seven mm-hmm. times removed. Um, I think there needs to be, you know, the, the first step in any of it is to express yourself to that person in a genuine, respectful, kind way about what it is specifically that they have done or continue to do that isn't appropriate or that makes you feel like it's toxic. And I think that actually could probably weed out just open communication and honesty without any, I don't know, without any sugarcoating, Um, Mm -hmm. but being kind and respectful, like speaking the truth in love biblically that I think can probably at least begin to open up doors to address a lot of these, you know, some of these, what you might consider toxic relationships. And I mean, it could result in that person pulling away from you anyway, if they don't receive it well. And, you know, that, that is not on you. If, if there is something that, that you bring to their attention, but honesty in the first place, I think at least opens doors for that person to respond one way or another so that you can take next steps to, to try to find resolution. But I would think that most people upon hearing that would be at least open to trying not to offend you or make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think, you know, that would be the way that emotionally mature, you know, if both parties have a, a level of maturity, that's what you can expect. You know, is that going to be in every single case? Probably not. And again, I think that before we get to where we talk about cutting off people like, you know, parents or things, I do feel like, again, we need to go back to, is this a persistent, pervasive thing? It's not, man, every time I talk to my mom, she bugs me because I don't vaccinate my kids and she thinks that I'm making a dumb mistake. Like that's, honestly, that's an annoyance, right? That's not... That's not toxicity. I'm sorry. If somebody disagrees mm-hmm. with you, that doesn't make them a bully or a toxic person. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, could they be? Sure. But I think there needs to be a whole lot more <laughs> going on than that. You know, I, another thing that comes to mind is addiction mm-hmm. yeah. and addict, you know, relationships that involve addiction and, mm-hmm. you know, it could be a child, it could be a sibling, it could be... Mm-hmm a parent or a spouse. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think we have time to dive into all the particulars. Yeah. Nope. It's um, hard. It's messy. Here's one thing though. I think that we can leave no matter what your response is. None of us are necessarily going to be equipped to respond to every single difficult relationship per- perfectly. No. But I feel like if you make sure that you are protecting yourself from bitterness and protecting yourself from hatred and that you are remembering to be gracious and loving and that you remember that God's heart is for unity and for reconciliation. But you also remember that we live in a fallen world where not every relationship gets restored. Wouldn't it be great if it did, but not everyone's going to. I feel like those are the things if we kind of throw all of those into the pot then I'd say we've covered about 85% of what needs to be covered when it comes to dealing with toxic people. Yeah. Well, and remembering that as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit, you know, we are not alone in navigating these things. And the fact that it's so muddy when it comes to just, you know, discerning among all of these different situations, the good news is we have prayer, you know, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling Mm -hmm. us, guiding us, giving us wisdom when we ask for it. And, um, you know, I think as long as we are going to God first for wisdom, going to God second for wisdom, going to God third for wisdom, every step of the way Mm -hmm. in in dealing with people. And then also on the end of 
forgiveness and, and going to God and forgiving, even if they're not asking for your forgiveness, but to release your soul from mm-hmm. mm-hmm. unforgiveness. Um, these are gifts that, w- that we can tap into that can really, I don't know, just revolutionize the, the process of, of walking through toxic relationships. I don't know. I, um, yeah, I feel like we were a little bit all over the place with some of this, but I just, I feel like the topics that we covered were just, I don't know, they're, they're all things that need to be talked about. So for sure, for sure. And to bring it kind of full circle, um, maybe we can end with just our thoughts on the role of prayer in forgiveness. You know, we've talked about it peripherally. I think there's tremendous power in forgiving somebody in the sight of Christ. And I know there's multiple places where it talks about that and it's included in the Lord's prayer in the Lord's prayer. We recite who we are forgiving. And I think that there's so much power in that. So I'm not, you know, there are also multiple parts where we're told to pray for those who hate us, to pray for those who persecute us. But I think most Christians are aware of that. And I think most Christians are aware that, yeah, if you pray for somebody that you're having relationship problems with, a lot of times that at the very least, it changes your heart toward that person. But one of the pieces that isn't talked about as much is verbally acknowledging before God that you are forgiving somebody who has sinned against you. I feel like that's really powerful. I do too. I think that's huge. And I mean, I don't know. Do you think that in order to forgive someone, they need to ask your forgiveness? No, because, you know, I mean, worst case scenario, you send me a mean email and hurt my feelings and then die, right? Like, how are you going to ask my forgiveness when I can still forgive you? (laughs) That was such a great beyond. That was a morbid example. I'm very, very sorry. (laughs) I was was trying to think of something like to lighten the mood, but I don't think that did it. (laughs) We We could shift into like, you know, a supernatural thriller you know right that's right that's right I come back and you come back starts moving and I write (laughs) forgive me (laughs) and I'm old and bitter and I say no I never will um no I I don't think forgiveness is a one-way thing reconciliation is a two-way thing uh and this is something that I had to realize the Reality of being in an unreconciled relationship is not in itself sinful, right? If you Mm -hmm. have forgiven the other party involved, if you would be able to attest before God that there is not bitterness and hatred in your heart, and then I think if one of these two conditions are met, so one would be the other person just is unwilling to reconcile with you. Or I think there are times where you know that reconciliation would be, you know, dangerous or unwise. You know, let's talk about the woman who leaves an addictive husband and it, in order to protect her safety, her kids' safety, things like that, reconciliation is not on an option on the table right now, but your heart is protected against bitterness and hatred. I feel like you're just fine. Yeah. All right. Well, wow. Was it Laura who sent in the question? It was Laura. I really, Laura, <laughs> I hope that we, we addressed something helpful here and that we For sure. struck mm-hmm. a chord and yeah, but I, I loved what you said about that separation between when there is toxicity, it's not sinful to have separation and yet mm-hmm. it's possible to have forgiveness within that separation. I think that's, that's exactly. a great, a great key point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's probably the main key point. And then the other key point is, you know, just be careful with those special relationships. Don't be too quick to cut people off, right? Uh, yeah. The world would have us do that. Mm-hmm. But we're meant to be, we're meant to put up with difficult people, right? Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have told us to bear with each other. You know, if if, right. we're, if we were all expecting to be in a hundred percent harmony, then he wouldn't have had to remind us of that multiple times. Mm -hmm. So that would be the other takeaway I'd say. Yep. Great. Well, do you want to close us in prayer or do we have anything else we want to add or discuss? I think we just want to, we did want to bring up the fact that we now have Praying Christian Women merchandise for anyone that's interested. That was really exciting to see our products in 
hand. I ordered some samples and got some cool stuff. But yeah, we've got all kinds of merchandise. If you go to prayingchristianwomen.com slash shop, um, you can find our, um, we're partnering with Threadless for, it's an on-demand printing place. So they're all different kinds of, there's several logos that you can have printed on all different kinds of things from masks to mugs to uh, journals and little like tote bags and stuff. It's really cool. Phone I love the masks. Those are fun. I know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, but yeah, I guess let's, we can just close in prayer now. Great. Wait, did we share the web, the web link for the merch? Yes, prayingchristianwomen.com slash shop. There it is. Awesome. Yeah, well, let's close in prayer and call it a day. All right. God, we just thank you for this time to come together and talk about toxic relationships. We just pray that you were glorified in this discussion. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct each one of us in our relationships and um, just help us to protect ourselves, to set appropriate boundaries where they need to be set, to be able to interact with people on a level that displays the character of Christ and, and protects us as well, Lord. I pray for um, each person listening that is involved in a toxic relationship, that you would just reveal the godly wisdom answers to the specific questions in each individual circumstance. We just um, pray that you would help us to show love, to speak the truth in love to everyone around us, to shine the love of Jesus in our relationships and to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.